Hi folks, welcome to another instalment of the O Group on the World Woods Nation podcast with myself, World Woods Explorer, Lawrence Waller and my colleague, Battleford Guide, Ben Main here at World Woods Nation. Today in this episode, it's the conclusion of our conversation with Charlie Walker and Neil Jones discussing the projects to restore C-47 Night Fright to her original wartime glory and get her back where she belongs, flying in the skies above Britain and Europe once more. Just out of interest, if you if you obviously talking about the procurement of parts, original parts from around the world, are you kind of at a stage now where you've got everything you need? It might not obviously be fitted yet, but you've got everything. Okay, it's ready to go. Or are you still looking? Um, I'd like to tell people that I am high ninety percent complete on on every component that would have been inside a C forty seven. Um, there's a few structural items that we are missing, namely the. Uh, cargo floor that would have been um, uh, installed and uh, some navigation or the navigators kind of compartment kind of um, upper structure. Um, both of them we don't need in essence to fly the aircraft. Um, we, ha- we do have a cargo cargo bay floor which we uh, which we took off uh, the C-47 that we um, we cannibalized out in in Ontario in Canada. However it's not the not an original floor that would have come out straight from the Douglas factory in Long Beach. And that's what spurs me on is I, I, I want that floor. So I am actively seeking uh, any C-47 around the world, you know, a, a museum piece, for example, that may have that original floor. And I'd love to do a trade with them um, to see if we could do that. Um, otherwise, yeah, it's now a waiting game um, for the time, the, the manpower, um, the personnel to kind of assist in, you know, Installing the, uh, the 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 brackets that need to be riveted in place um, to uh, to enable us to get the radio gear kind of um, installed. Um, you know everything about this this restoration. You know has got to happen at the right time. Otherwise, you don't want to be taking components off because you've now covered the access to I don't know put some wiring uh, through through a bulkhead. So yeah, it's it's got to be kind of planned and planned right to. Uh, to, to install these things at the right time um, um, but yeah the, the hard work of, of finding these items yeah it's 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 nearly coming to an end um, yeah thinking back how how busy I was every evening every weekend a couple of years ago to how I am now um, yeah I'm nearly there and uh, that saddens me <laughs> yeah, well, I, think, I think it's it, it's it's difficult to convey just just how difficult a process that was Neil and just you know how much time effort and research you had to put into that it's um it, it's phenomenal really and you know certainly from my perspective we're incredibly fortunate to have someone like yourself on the team and you know as you say we spent a couple of weeks in Canada between us we've got parts from America Australia New Zealand Europe and, and there's still a few bits that we're after so it's been a, a massive part of the project. One thing you and I discussed previously, Charlie, a little while back now, actually, when we were talking about DAX over Normandy, so the 75th anniversary um, for the Normandy D-Day commemorations. Um, obviously, you were looking to get night fright in the air, trying to get in that for that particular thing. Was the extraordinary cost involved in this? Um, if you don't mind me asking, as I'm sure everyone is curious to know this, but what does it cost to get C-47 airborne again? And I don't even just mean restoring her to airworthy state alone. What, in terms of cost of just fueling her for a single flight as well? Yeah, you're right. That's um, that's a question that we get asked a lot. Um, and yes, it's um, it's not a small investment. I'd be lying if 
I said that uh, it's not taken more time and cost more money that, than we thought. I mean, in terms of actually purchasing a C47 initially, if you go back seven or eight years ago to when we bought Night Fright, the, the amount of money involved at that stage is not hugely significant. It's still a, a reasonable amount of money, but the, the money that it's taken to you know, move Night Fright and, and disassemble her and transport her back to the UK, and then obviously on a on a month by month basis, um, you know, to foot the bill for the restoration and the parts and the labour and everything that's associated with that is significant. Um, it is, and we're we're very fortunate to to be in a position where we're able to to manage that off our own backs rather than being reliant on any outside support, so to speak. Um, so we are very fortunate. But um, yes, it's it it is significant. It's a seven figure sum. That that's for sure. That's um, uh, without wishing to sound like a politician. That's that's probably as 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 in depth as I as I want to go go on that one. But um, I think we're probably comforted by the fact that anything World War Two and period and and historical is is going up significantly. In, not just in value, but in, in interest. A night fright is a is a project and something that will will never be for sale. But I think it, it's comforting to to know that in, in in the back of your head. But yeah, you're right. It's a significant investment, not just in money, but just in time, resources, and, and everything else. Very tactfully put there, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, as I mentioned there earlier, the original hope was obviously to have Night Fright flying game for the 70th anniversary commemorations for D-Day with Ducks over Normandy. Sadly, obviously, for various reasons, that didn't happen. Um, obviously, with the way things have gone over the last 18 months with COVID, that's probably compounded the whole situation. But when are you hoping to have Night Fright airborne again or the restoration project finished and you know her making her refreshed maiden voyage? You're certainly hitting us with the million-dollar questions at the end, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's a very difficult one to, to answer that, that one. As you said, you know, the, the ideal was the 75th anniversary of D-Day back in in 2019, which didn't happen for various reasons, not one specific reason that I think that we can put our finger on, just the fact that it's it's such a big project and there's so many unknown obstacles and, and hurdles. Um, and, and that's probably still the case now, to be honest. Um, we sort of backed things off a little bit after having missed that deadline because we didn't have a specific time frame in mind so we just sort of reassessed broke it down into sections and chunks and decided what direction we were going to take and then as you say along came something called covid which certainly hasn't helped anyone let alone uh, a restoration project where you've got teams of people looking to stay on location for a couple of weeks at a time uh, and obviously all that kind of things have not been possible that that being said uh, we, we have made some significant progress over the last sort of six, nine, 12 months, and we're just coming to the end of what I would call a project within a project where we've completely overhauled both of the wings and we're almost at a stage where that's complete and they will be ready to be attached to, to Night Fright and we'll move back on to some of the other tasks. Um, in terms of timeframes, uh, I'm probably gonna regret this, but we're, we're at the moment aiming very loosely to be engines running towards the back end of this year with hopefully a, a very big push to, to operating next spring or, or summer there's a lot that can change between now and then but that's very loosely what we're hoping to achieve well that'd be fantastic to see her in the skies again where she she needs to be um i saw neil honoring lieutenant thornton i know you touched on this slightly earlier paying homage to him 
on Memorial Day on your Facebook page only last this past week, I think it was. Yeah. Uh, for me, what makes this project so unique is not only the level of authenticity you have aspired to, as we've touched on, uh, to ensure Night Fright is as much like what she was in 1944, inside and out, the original parts you're sourcing and using, but also the fact you researched and even connected and spoken with those aircrew who actually flew her during the war. Perhaps you could share with us a little of their stories, you know, who they were and what happened to them all. Well, Charlie, you've you've been fortunate enough to to have a quick phone call uh, with both uh, pilot and co-pilot of Night Fright, which is something I have n- I've never had any uh, conversation with um, any of the kind of original crew of of Night Fright. But my greater kind of kind of um, passion has always been uh, the, the the history of of Ninth Troop Carrier Command, who were operating C forty sounds and gliders. Um, in England uh, during the war. So I've been fortunate enough to travel to the States to meet a number of, uh, of pilots, um, radio operators, crew chiefs, um, luckily a Pathfinder pilot who also happened to be in the same squadron as as uh, as, as Night Fright um, at the start uh, of, the, of the forming of the of the 436. Um, yeah, it's just, uh, they're, they're, they're great humbling guys. Um, they're, they're proud of what they did during the war. Um, you know, the troop carrier command has had a not a a a, a great kind of um, advertisement from uh, how Banner Brothers played out and uh, the way that Ambrose kind of wrote the book, uh, where he kind of um, kind of lent towards that the crews were inexperienced, um, panicked, um, just pressed the green light button, kind of miles away from the drop zones, and. Um, yeah, that bad press has, has stuck, uh, unfortunately, and uh, that that's that's unfortunate. And the and you know the 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 men, those those wonderful veterans I've had the pleasure of meeting, um, they 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 they've they've hurt it from from that bad press. And um, yeah, that's not the case. You know, they they were expert flyers. They, you know, they were experienced flyers. They they've they had hours and hours under the belts of flying training, formation flying, formation flying at night. Formation flying a night while towing a glider. So, you know, this is this is not their first kind of um, you know time in, in doing what they were doing. Yes, for the majority, it potentially was the first taste of combat on D-Day. Um, but the uh, the bad press that they had, yeah, just wasn't wasn't right. And um, that's one thing that they were very very um, keen to kind of stipulate to me that you know they they they, they, they did the job and um, they were proud of doing the job and. Um, you know they got upset and in, in, in various guises of you know watching through their their windows of or their, their their you know their their squadron mates going down in flames. You know all it took was one round going through the uh, the fuel tanks of a of a C forty seven to set it alight and uh, yeah to watch somebody that they kind of were billeted in you know in you know potentially in the in the bunker next to them going down in flames just uh, as 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 played on on their on their minds for for the rest of their lives. Um, some of them got upset by, you know, those aeromedical evacuation missions that they were involved with, um, especially throughout the winter of 44, 45. Um, one pilot told me he was in the 442nd troop carrier group. Um, he was pulling out um, injured personnel from the 17th Airborne who were rushed um, into Battle of the Bulge. Um, and they were being brought back out with, you know, frostbite, I know, with, with missing toes, you know, 
blackened hands and um yeah he got really upset by that um so yeah these men are, are special uh, as as are all of the, of our wonderful world war ii veterans um you know they're a generation that uh that unfortunately we're um we're losing quickly and um yeah i think um charlie's had that privilege of talking to the um to the the two pilots of night fright and um yeah between us i think we've got some great historical knowledge and and memoirs that uh will will drive night fright forward and um will ensure their memory will never be forgotten what was um you touched on the navigator earlier having a, a very lucky escape with the shell coming through the cabin um was that lieutenant thornton then what, what happened to him yeah so lieutenant arthur thornton was night fright's original captain original navigator sorry um he he was night fright's navigator for the the southern southern route um so he successfully guided um william watson to ascension islands and onwards to africa and, and then to to england so you know, a, a, a great navigator, um, and he was part of the crew for D-Day, uh, flew the D-Day mission. Um, we assume he flew the uh, the glider mission um, that, that day as well, but we don't have any kind of um, documentation to kind of prove um, uh, otherwise. Um, but after D-Day, literally kind of weeks afterwards, um, Ninth Air Force uh, realized that they had a, a significant shortage of navigators within their the Ninth Bomber Command. So a number of navigators were were poached from from Troop Carrier Command, um, and unfortunately for us, in a way, that uh, Lieutenant Thornton was one of them, and um, he was transferred over to Ninth Bomb Bomber Command um, roughly in in seventh of July, if I remember rightly, off the top of my head. And he was uh, he was assigned to the B twenty six Marauders, um, so he began flying with with uh, with a specific crew, um, and then literally, if I remember rightly, uh, within a month they were flying a mission um, over northern France, and um, they were struck by anti aircraft artillery fire over Lisieux, um, and the entire crew perished from the um, when the B twenty six uh crushed so yeah he uh so he's the only um crew member that flew and operated on, on night fright um uh, to have perished during the war um so um yeah so it's, it's kind of saddening to to know that um but we never knew much about that arthur it really um you know the squadron diaries that we had didn't really mention much at all about arthur um following d-day and uh i'd missed the fact that um that he'd been reassigned to Ninth um, Bomber Command, so we, so we had a, a researcher kind of uh, contact us out of the blue, you know, volunteering volunteering his services for you know whatever he could do, and we said, well, okay, track down what happened to Arthur Thornton because we can't. Um, and shockingly, it didn't take him that long before he came back to us and said, uh, I, I've, I've got some got some news. Um, he was, like I said, he was transferred to Ninth Bomber Command and uh was shot down and killed in uh, in august 1944 and uh thought, oh sad that's really sad uh, wait he said the um the you know the trail doesn't end there he uh, he's got a son wow fantastic uh he lives in scotland and uh, amazing scotland why why scotland um 
he he made contact with the, with the son and uh, he gave us the contact details and of course I, I i phoned i phoned him straight away and lo and behold he was named arthur as well he was named after his father and what had happened was as soon as as arthur had and the 79th troop Paris squadron had had moved from Bottesford to uh, to Membry in third uh, March, forty four. He met with uh, a captain in the uh, in, in the ATS, and her job was to staff um, uh, personnel in sourcing fresh produce from the local farms around around Membry uh, to provide the mess with fresh produce. Um, so Arthur and her, uh, you know, hit it off pretty well by the sounds of it, and literally by. Uh, I think it was April 1944, they were married. Now, you know, I don't think Arthur really, well, I might actually have to do the calculation to find out, but potentially um, whether the, 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 the very speedy wedding was because um, Elizabeth was pregnant at the time. I don't know. Um, however, they were married uh, in April 44, and unfortunately, they only had three months together before obviously Arthur perished um, you know, over northern France. But um, yeah, so um, Elizabeth kind of uh, went back to a, a Scottish family and uh, Arthur was born um, and um, has stayed in Scotland ever since. Um, luckily, Arthur came down to uh, to meet up with us um, at Membry and then also to, uh, to Coventry. And um, I have a great photograph of Arthur sitting in the navigator's compartment um, where his father would have, would have flown on D-Day. So um, yeah. Um, the 101st Airborne historian Mark Bando calls such a thing synchronicity and um, I think that's a definitely a, a good word to describe you know the connection we've made um, with Arthur and yeah we'll always remember his father second lieutenant Arthur Thornton as the only night fry crew member to perish during the war. What a moving and poignant story and you say a, a lovely way to commemorate his memory by bringing those guys or bringing his son um to see where his father would have sat that is quite quite impressive yeah he was moved he, he was moved especially when we um sat him in in that seat and explained kind of the role of a navigator and um yeah and obviously we, we bigged it up you know you know the navigator had an, a very important role and um you know each one of those crew members had a had a, had a small portion of of the success of d-day but yeah, we made sure that um, Arthur Jr. understood that uh, his, his father played a significant role uh, on D-Day. Another thing that I know the likes of Joe, Alex and myself find so fascinating, fantastic, and I guess different about this restoration project is that once Night Fright is back to an airworthy state again, is that she'll be returning home to the original airfield from which she and her crew operated from during the war. We've touched on it a little bit, but perhaps you can tell us a bit about these exciting plans for RAF memory, as well as a little bit about the history of the place as well during the Second World War. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I'll, I'll jump in there a little bit. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. We've, we've got some significant plans for memory um, once the restoration is complete. I mean, the, the way we're sort of viewing it at the moment, or certainly the way we did view it at the start, um, is that phase one is, is to get get the restoration complete and get night fright flying and and phase two is is what happens at memory with the runway um the hangar and the museum and the plans we've got there but i guess that sort of phase one and phase two have kind of almost bumped into each other because the uh, the restoration has taken 
longer than than expected. So, yeah, very, very recently, actually, we we gained the planning permission at Membury to to erect the hangar um, and and the museum that that we're looking to 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 put in place there. So, actually, we've got some exciting discussions and, and meetings and and all sorts of stuff going on around that at the moment. Just um, you know what the makeup of that museum is going to be, who's going to be involved, how we're going to curate it, um, et cetera, et cetera. Really, so. Uh, I think as far as we we believe, Night Fright will be the only C-47 to return and operate from her original wartime base. Certainly, I think um, that, that that's that's our understanding. So, you know, that is pretty cool uh, and pretty significant. Um, and I guess, you know, we need to sit down and decide how that's going to work long term, whether we're going to operate Night Fright from memory year round or whether you know she will just operate there from from you know periods during the summer we'll, we'll have to see how that shapes up there's a you know a few things to be decided around that but i mean the whole premise really is you know as i alluded to earlier to just pay tribute to to troop carrier command uh, and the sacrifices that those guys made for our freedom you know sort of tell the story of memory and the C-47 and the 436 troop carrier groups. So, you know, the museum will very much focus around troop carrier command. I don't think, well, there is there is something that, that tries to do that uh, at Welford, but I think the future of that is pretty uncertain. So we're gonna be working with those guys as well. So, you know, we just want to put something in place that remembers the past and, and also, you know, helps educate future generations. And Neil and myself have also got what we call a, uh, loosely an, an education program where we're going around giving presentations to the local primary schools and you know, even secondary schools uh, you know I did one for a for, for university museums any anyone that's interested really you know on on I suppose troop carry command and you know World War II and D-Day generally and using night fright as, as the focus of that really so there's very much going to be an education theme on, on it as well it's obviously going to be the operation of night fright and as I said, very privileged to be able to take part in, you know, these memorial parachute drops and fly pass and displays and air shows. But there is very much an educational focus around that as well. That's fantastic. It's so important, isn't it? It, it is. I think, you know, there's, it's all it's all very well, um, you know, reading about things in books. But you know, I think the term is living history, isn't it? And I think that's exactly what we're trying to achieve the idea is you jump on board night fright and it's it's like a time warp you know you're going back to the 6th of june 1944 and you know i, I really hope that what we're doing will inspire future generations to to look into you know what happened on their doorstep and you know world war ii history in, in the same way that we're all passionate about it now let's turn to the journey so it must have been an incredible journey doing this restoration project not that you're finished yet obviously um but what's been the biggest highs and lows of this experience so far for both of you oh blimey that's um that that is a good one um i think it's probably fair to say it's been an emotional roller coaster throughout there's been you know highs definitely and you know i guess you know right at the start finding finding night fright and learning about the history which is something we've continued to learn about throughout the whole process you know moving her to the uk was a significant milestone and kind of in a way where the project really sort of kick-started and you know then there's significant milestones throughout the project of you know mating the fuselage and the center section together getting the engines on getting her on our own wheels and there'll be more significant ones to come you know for example the wings going on and 
when she moves under her own power for the first time and then obviously when she takes to the air for the first time and you know intertwined with all of that there's been some wonderful people that we've met throughout the project not just veterans but all sorts of you know fascinating people and people who are willing to contribute and get involved with with what we're doing and I think that's that's one of the things that I will look back on most most fondly is that is the people that we've met got to know and have got involved and are passionate about what we're trying to do really and and then obviously we're very fortunate to have had some wonderful opportunities to you know to talk to guys like yourselves on on podcasts and various radio shows and interviews and obviously um had the privilege of making a couple of tv shows along the way as well yeah i agree with that um yeah for me because obviously my my passion in in troop carrying commands to have the privilege of of being part of the project to kind of you know a living breathing you know c47 that that's been there done that as part of ninth troop carrier command i can't ask for more more you know luckily i'm i'm in that fortunate position of, of being a an aircraft engineer in the air force so i have corporate knowledge of 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 how to fix and and, and work on aircraft so um you know it's not all a, a strange kind of concept for me um you know you know that, that time scales that that's involved in 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 the removal of corrosion or, or constructing something so um yeah so it's um I, yeah I'll, I'll just echo kind of uh charlie charlie's kind of comments really it's um i think the entire project has been just a one big high I, I can't think of a low at all really um you know missing dax over normandy flying over, over normandy for the 75th anniversary yes it's a disappointment but then that disappointment has, has led to us opening up the gates to kind of get night right um you know looking how she will look uh, in 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 the coming year um maybe that would have been we, we may, may have missed the boat if we'd have rushed the restoration to achieve flying um in 2019 so yeah i think um every cloud has a silver lining and um yeah it's just uh it's just one big high am i right in thinking you guys actually filmed with guy martin no, no, <laughs> no. I think it's, it's too late now. Now it's it's, it's out there. I think, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We we did. We were we were incredibly lucky to to have that experience. Which, if I look back at it, I'm not sure how long we were involved with the whole process, Neil. But it must have been over a year. It was a, a significant amount of time, and obviously a lot of research and, and detail that we were assisting with. Not just obviously on the, on the night fright side of things, but you know, for, from my perspective, it was a. Uh, it was a wonderful unexpected experience um it, it was a great thing to be involved with you know guy martin was absolutely fantastic he's you know exactly you know what you see is what you get he's no different you know behind the camera as, as he is off camera he's you know interested in history obviously a, a talented engineer and thoroughly enjoyed working with him and we're still in in touch all of us now still remain friends he pops into coventry now and again to, to keep an eye on progress and um no doubt he will um he will be on night fright when when she does take to the air i think you kind of hit the nail on the head there charlie you you both touched on it a little bit is the connections and incredible community and passion that these sort of projects and that history generates and i found that doing well with nation is the connections you make along the way are just fantastic yeah absolutely yeah as you say you you make friends for life and you know that's definitely um you know one of the best things about the whole project you know is the people we've met and been involved with and the people we continue to meet and i'm sure that will only grow as you know we operate night right going forward i'm sure 
that community uh, is, is just going to get bigger. But yeah, we're part of some wonderful groups. You know, I think the DC3 community is a is a particularly special one. And, you know, we're now involved with guys, you know, in America, we've joined the uh, what's called the DC Day Squadron or the DC3 Society. So I think we're the only operator in, in Europe to be part of that at the moment. So we're sort of broadening our horizons with, with the community. We did a, a live broadcast with those guys and we're getting involved with some of the maintenance and historical stuff they're doing. And we're also in touch with Night Frights Modern Day Squadron, which is the 436 operations group based out of Dover Air Force Base in, in Delaware. They're exceptionally keen um, on what we're doing. And we've done a number of presentations for those guys and, and we're regularly in touch. So yeah, just a, a huge, huge community. Well, Charlie, Neil, I really appreciate you guys coming on. It's been absolutely absorbing and really enjoyed learning more about Night Frights and can't wait to see you back in the air sometime soon. Uh, you're very welcome. It's great to chat to you again, Lawrence, and we look forward to seeing you at Coventry again soon. Thanks for listening. We hope you found it of interest. If you enjoyed this episode, please do feel free to subscribe to the podcast or leave a review. We hugely appreciate your support. We should be sharing more information about various things mentioned in this episode of the O Group on our social media channels. You can find this info and drop us a message with any questions by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube at Worldwide Nation, and also Instagram at Worldwide Nation HQ. Obviously, also a big thank you to Charlie and Neil for taking the time to chat with us about this fascinating topic. Part two of our conversation with George Bearfield about his grandfather's experiences during Operation Foursquare will be out very shortly.